0: What's up then, listeners? Welcome to another episode of the Midge and the Keg NFL Podcast. Host as usual, Midge, alongside me and my co-host, the Keg. How much? And joining us today for our off-season talk, Baltimore Ravens episode, we have Spencer Schultz joining us today. How are we doing, Spencer?
1: Doing
2: fantastic. I'm excited to be on the Midge and the Keg. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for having
0: me. How are we doing today?
1: Yeah, awesome. Yes.
0: All doing good. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, Just before we begin, uh, Spencer, I'll let you have the floor and letting our listeners know about your socials and you know who you write for and everything else. Because I know, you know, you've got a few pages and everything, and your own podcast as well that you're on. So I'll let you have the floor with that and explain to the listeners.
2: Oh, absolutely. I work for a company called Sports Info Solutions. We are a data analysis company that primarily works with ESPN for college football as well as about twenty-seven NFL teams and a good bit of the FBS teams and a few FCS teams as well. I also work for Baltimore Beatdown, which is a SB Nation covering the Baltimore Ravens. And I run their social media accounts and uh, write for them. I have my own podcast that is called Baltimore, or the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, which is available on Apple and all that good stuff. So Spotify as well. And I've been doing that for a couple of years now. It's been a lot of fun and I'm excited to come on and talk some ball with you fellas.
0: Awesome. Good, good stuff, Spencer. So guys, just for all that, I'll be make sure to put every link to all the pages and everything that Spencer is associated with, just so you guys are aware of that. So yeah, Spencer, let's, uh, let's get to it and talk about Baltimore. Now, we'll talk about, uh, just going into it, the 20, uh, so last season, uh, you know, 11-5 and five seems, I mean, seems a little bit less than, the, you know, the sort of other like 14 wins that you guys had, but Um, Sorry, the the previous year. But, you know, winning winning season yet again, you know, Lamar Jackson, you know, picked up sort of right left off, didn't have quite his MVP caliber year, but still had a pretty solid year, you know, great on the ground like he always is. And although the stats are a little bit receding, you know, his passing stats weren't exactly horrendous last year either. You know, so he carried on where he left off, got his first playoff win, which I think was obviously what people were questioning him obviously going into this season as well. If you guys got made it to the playoffs to see how we would react, you know, to the pressure of him and obviously into a tough team and um, traveling to Tennessee, you know, Russian offense, top in the league, you know, you've got JK Dobbins done really well, uh, fantastic as a rookie. Uh, also Gus Edwards contributing and obviously Lamar Jackson to what he does best, you know, just creating them highlight reels and all the good stuff that he does. Obviously it came into the point where you had to go into Buffalo and, you know, it didn't obviously turn out the way you got, you know, you guys would have hoped it you know, wasn't the best game by any means. You know, Buffalo weren't exactly amazing, but, you know, they got the job done in that game. I mean, looking back at it, I mean, what, what did you take from the season? I mean, do you feel like it was a little bit of a failed season because could have, could have at least got to the championship game? Or, or were you quite happy with the way the team progressed last year? Well, what
2: happened in 2019 was that the Ravens really weren't exactly sure Ha- what they had in Lamar Jackson. They were quite confident in him. I think they were a lot more confident than many people realized. He made big mechanical strides and obviously led the NFL in touchdown passes in 2019, has a you know, record-setting year as a rushing quarterback as well. And the Ravens reel off 12 straight wins and go into the divisional round and obviously might have overlooked a tough Titans opponent that had really gotten their mojo together about halfway through the season with Ryan Tannehill coming together. And the Ravens went into 2020 – Feeling the need to rebuild their front seven. They had Patrick, they had CJ Mosley leave the year prior, and they went into 2019 with Patrick Owasso and Kenny Young as their starting middle linebackers. Uh, they had Chris Wormley, Michael Pierce, and Brandon Williams across the defensive front, and those guys didn't get the job done. They weren't able to crowd Derrick Henry. They had some struggles against the 49ers when the 49ers ended, the Ravens ultimately won that game, but the 49ers wide zone scheme really. Uh, gashed the Ravens in that season. So, long story short, the Ravens wanted to do everything they could to short up the front seven. They go out and get Calais Campbell, who's been a you know pretty impa- high impact player. He's not exactly a superstar, but he's been a consistent three, four down run defender, one of the best run defenders in the NFL, as well as someone who can provide more length and interior pass rush than Michael Pierce or Brandon Williams, the guys they had in there before. They also go out and get Derek Wolf to upgrade over Chris Wormley, and then they move Brandon Williams, who is really just built like a, a center. He's Brandon Williams is a center beater. He's a nose guard. They had him playing the three tech position mainly, and wasn't a good fit for him. He's not much of a pass rusher. He really is just good for beating up on centers. So with Derek Wolf coming in with Clays Campbell coming in, they go out and get Patrick queen and Malik Harrison. And uh, you know, they franchise tag Matt Judon as well. And they end up trading throughout the year for Yannick and and putting Tyus Bowser into more heavy role and it turned out well, they had a really stout run defense and they, you know we're able to get the job done. Clay's Campbell and Brandon Williams end up getting hurt. They have a rematch with the Titans throughout the season, and uh, the Titans were able to kind of control the game late after the Ravens could hold held Henry at bay early on. Uh, but what they didn't do was really address their offense at all. They kind of just ran it back with the same offense. They thought, oh hey, we led the NFL in scoring. Lamar Jackson it was a unanimous MVP. Uh, they lose Marshall Yonda, a Hall of Fame right guard that is one of the best right guards in the history of the NFL and they kind of threw some darts at the board trying to replace him it would have been smarter to try and bring in a veteran but last year's free agent class was not particularly strong on the offensive side of the ball or in the receiver area it was really only just Robbie Anderson at the wide receiver position and I don't think anybody really saw him having a 90 plus catch thousand yard season in Carolina so the Panthers end up getting great value out of him I'm sure the Ravens would have loved to pounce on that deal if they knew they would get that production but they did not i don't think the panthers even knew they would get that so they drafted you know they trade away hayden hurst which was an underrated loss hurst a former first round pick that he added and a lot of people think that the ravens ran a ton of three tight end sets in 2019 that's not quite true i think they only ran about 6% of their total snaps with three tight ends on the field and a lot of those are in goal to go situations anyway but what they did miss was being able to put mark andrews and hayden hurst on the field together well, they do have Nick Boyle, who's more of a traditional run blocking tight end that can help a little in the past game. But having Mark Andrews and Hayden Hurst, both athletic, vertical, field stretching tight ends that uh, when you put those two guys out there and running back and you have that 12 personnel, a lot of teams are going to feel they need to put two linebackers on the field, three linebackers on the field. And then all of a sudden you can put them into put the Ravens and go out and empty and have no one in the backfield and spread the defense out and have Lamar Jackson back there. He can Gash you if he chooses to run or Uh, as a really dominant uh, over-the-middle-of-the-field passer. I think that's one of the most underrated aspects, and people kind of try to detract from Lamar Jackson at times and say, oh, you know, he really likes to throw over the middle of the field, and it's like, well, yes, he is one of the best intermediate and between-the-numbers throwers in the entire sport. So, of course, he does like to do that. He has really great touch over the middle field, strong anticipation, and not having Hayden Hurst kind of limited that, I believe, in in some ways for this offense, as well as losing Yonda, so – the Ravens have a good formula. They are able to really crush inferior opponents right now, but they didn't have many veterans on offense. They were relying a lot of, on a lot of young players. Mark Ingram did had an injury late in 2019. He didn't look the same, and the Ravens had two other running backs anyway. He was one of the only veterans, aside from Willie Sneed, who is not you know a high-impact player, but was a nice slot receiver for them, and at one point it was maybe their most consistent receiver. So it was a really young and cheap offense. The Ravens only spent just over $50 million on their offense in 2020. That was the second cheapest offense in the NFL behind the Broncos. And they ended up finishing seventh in scoring. They had a pretty rough stretch. They uh, came down with COVID, had that Wednesday afternoon matinee Pittsburgh game and come back. And Lamar Jackson had had a little bit of struggles in the previous games. The Ravens hit a rough stretch. They play a really brutal game in new England and a really torrential downpour and aren't able to get their mojo in that one. And, they're six and five. They're outside the playoff picture. So seems like they went back to more of a souped-up version of 2018 with that offense. And Ronnie Stanley goes down. All-pro left tackle goes down. A guy that just, had just paid that week $100 million. So, of course, he naturally breaks his ankle against their biggest rival, puts them behind the eight ball. And they had to change what they were doing. They couldn't run between the tackles effectively. They don't have Yonda to go blow people, blow three techs off the ball to uh, really maul Ronnie Stanley, their reliable left tackle, who is uh, rock and pass protection's gone, so they have to move Orlando Brown over. And then they rotate DJ Fluker and Tyree Phillips throughout the year, and both of them have plotting feet as if they're stuck in a marsh and aren't able to have the foot speed to be able to really give a confident pocket for Lamar Jackson. And you could see that he was frenetic at a lot of, a lot of times in the dropback game when they played against more competent pass rushes. He had a lot of pressure on him. The timing was off. He missed throws. Uh, Hollywood Brown didn't have a glorious statistical season, but when you go back and watch the tape, he's open a lot, and there were a lot of missed opportunities there. He did have a few drops as well, but ultimately the Ravens need to win out pretty much to go make the playoffs for the third consecutive year. So they go back to a souped-up version of that 2018 offense where they run a ton of power option. They run a lot of quarterback bash and veer where they kind of can negate their line where you have J.K. Dobbins out wide. He comes in motion with the head of steam and you're just counting on him to be able to beat guys to the perimeter. And then the ulterior option is for Lamar Jackson to pull the ball with two pullers ahead of him and uh, play that he's been really successful on dating back to his days at Louisville. And off of that, you know, Mark Andrews, Hollywood Brown being able to make some plays and they have a pretty cupcake end of their schedule. They go on this run there. Uh, They go into Tennessee. They get overwhelmed again a little bit. They're kind of sputtering and then Lamar Jackson tucks and runs a 50-yard touchdown in the playoffs and kind of lifts that monkey off of their back and finally started really throwing underneath and being able to throw to Hollywood Brown, who is 175 pounds, 180 pounds at most. He had foot surgery prior to last year. Wasn't himself in 2019, but was able to lead the NFL in slot receptions for touchdowns. And then in 2020, uh, he was really taking care of himself in terms of, avoiding contact, getting out of bounds, getting down after the catch. And then suddenly, uh, right before the postseason, he starts stiff arming guys and looking like the player that he was at Oklahoma after the catch. And against the Titans, they were able to strike the, the boundary. That's where teams kind of give the Ravens space. They don't have a real perimeter threat wide receiver, or a real big-body guy that can kind of uh, beat up on cornerbacks on the boundary. But they're able to get the ball to Hollywood Brown. He makes a couple guys miss, converts some first downs, and they – pick the Titans apart underneath, get that elusive playoff win off their back for the first time in a few uh, few years there. And then finally, they end up in Buffalo. And all of their, their band-aided uh, kind of paper mache offense they've constructed, rotating right tackles, no Nick Boyle, no Ronnie Stanley, no real perimeter threat. It's 20 degrees with a 20-mile-per-hour wind in Buffalo. And the Ravens struggled to block the bills simply. They even struggled to snap the ball, which was a recurring issue throughout the year. They end up going through three different centers and, you know, one snap gets rolled past Lamar Jackson results in him having to, you know, luckily be the maybe one player in the NFL who can sprint backwards 20 yards and then get outside the pocket and throw the ball away. And then one goes over his head into the end zone and he has to do the same thing ends up getting collapsed by two pass rushers and, leaving the game with a concussion. Uh, another missed opportunity. Down, you know, the game-changing play was a pick-six from Lamar Jackson, which was a dreadful, awful, forced decision, and you don't really know what he's seeing there. But the play prior, the right tackle, Tyree Phillips at the time, a rookie who was supposed to play guard, and J.K. Dobbins, the other rookie running back, both whiff and pass protection, and Lamar Jackson doesn't have enough time to get the ball to a wide-open Hollywood Brown in the end zone for the game-tying touchdown. Instead, the next play, it ends up being a two-score game out of nowhere. And then the following drive, the quarterback's out of the game, the MVP's out of the game, and all that paper mache offense kind of got caught in the rain, turned soggy, and melted. So it's been a, a tough period now. But the Ravens' season, they overcame a lot of adversity. They got the playoff, went off of their back. And in retrospect, it was kind of silly to just ex- expect them to lose Marshall Yonda, not make any major additions on their offense, and uh, go do, do something that they hadn't done yet. They relied on a lot of potential and a lot of youth that needed experience, and uh, in that sense, getting to the playoffs, being six and five, overcoming that adverse situation where a lot of people were counting them out, was a success. But when you go back to the Super Bowl aspirations that a lot of people had for them, you know, it fell apart. They weren't deep enough. They didn't have a good enough offensive line. They didn't have enough weapons uh, to help out Lamar Jackson and ask too much of him. The cheapest, youngest offense in the NFL, just about, and. Uh, you know, they have a hundred million dollar defense, but it showed in the middle of the season when you have a hundred million dollar defense and twenty million dollars is on the bench uh, or, or in sweatpants on the sideline, suddenly you can't really score points and you can't really stop teams as well as you thought you'd be able to. So that might not be the best formula. And uh, that's where we're at as of now.
0: Pass interference,
1: defense, automatic first down. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're Falcons fans. So I mean, you touched on Hayden, like, obviously, your loss is and you can see how he would have been. A Big loss to yeah. you. I mean, for me, I think it was a bit of a missed opportunity for you. I mean, you've got you've got Lamar Jackson on this rookie contract, you know, he's cheaper than he's ever going to be going forward. And, you know, like you say, you just sort of went off the rookie options and you sort of hope that they came together this year on the line, especially. And I mean in that playoff game against Buffalo, I mean, the center just putting it over his head. I mean, what a play for Lamar the one time he did manage to get away, but also the next time the concussion. And I think that's really crushed the season. I think, you know, that little bit more experience on that line might have propelled you a little bit.
2: Right. And Hayden Hurst was a tough situation. A guy that the Ravens drafted over Lamar Jackson and really liked. But he ended up having a better rapport with Mark Andrews as time has gone on. And in that first playoff loss in 2020, following the 2019 season, Hurst wanted the ball. And he wants to be the guy. He wants to be the number one guy. And he went to the Ravens and was like, look, you know, Let's see if we can work something out. The Ravens end up getting Justin Mataboyke, who is an outstanding rookie interior defensive lineman for them that not a lot of people know about, someone that the Ravens are very excited about. I'm very excited to watch in this upcoming season, uh, Who was a real standout, as well as J.K. Dobbins, a dynamic player. And uh, it made sense at the time, but they definitely missed Hayden Hurst. But at the same time, the Ravens, Ravens are an organization that tries to have a very honest transparent familial approach and you know it's going on right now Orlando Brown wants a trade so the Ravens are letting him go seek a trade they have no obligation to do that they could easily shut that down and he could become you know the guy who's on NFL Network or you know PFF talking about every day or ESPN you know oh Orlando Brown might hold out or something like that Ravens don't operate that way they're gonna go say all right what if this isn't working for you, we want we wish you the best. We want the best for you. So if we got to trade you out of here, that's what it is. They don't like to have the the nasty, uh, unprofessional relationships. It's it's more of a familial sense, and at times it burns them, and they get a little bit too mom and pop, and maybe aren't cutthroat eno- enough. But in the end, uh, you know they they got an okay return for Hayden Hurst, but they also definitely feel a need to replace that big second tough over the middle, you know, vertical threat to go alongside Mark Andrews. And yeah. uh, I mean, you have Hollywood Brown trying to play that role and doing a pretty good job, but he's not being utilized well enough. Mark Andrews gets taken out of games when you play against top level defenses. They just kind of use a combo coverage on him. It's called where you just form a shape, whether it's a triangle or a square around him. And uh, you have to make a perfect throw in between three or four defenders to get him to football. And that's where Lamar Jackson wants to go. He can't go there. You have guys like Miles Boykin that you're expecting. And, and Boykin was a real disappointment this season at times. Uh, it mounted in week six, where the Ravens are playing the Eagles, a clearly inferior team that's beat up in a shell of their former selves, with Carson Wentz having a ton of struggles amidst a completely injured offensive line. And uh, at one point, Miles Boykin, after the, after the game, he admits to this, he runs out of the huddle. And, you know, doesn't listen to what the play was. And the play was a back shoulder fade in the end zone to Miles Boykin. And Boykin's trying to block three yards downfield. Lamar Jackson throws a ball 20 yards over his head into the end zone. And it's like, all right, man, this isn't pee wee level football. This isn't yeah. Little League. This isn't JV. This isn't varsity. This isn't the college level. This is the NFL. The play was, uh, uh, you know, in the end zone for you. Yeah. No one else. <laughs> and you're just running yeah. right out of the huddle, not knowing what it is. So they had to cut his snaps back. Then you're relying on guys like Devin Duvernay and James Prochet. And a lot of Ravens fans are really excited about those guys, but they were the 17th and I believe 28th receivers selected in the draft last year. They're not, you know, pedigree guys that are going to go. It's it's not Justin Jefferson. It's not Jerry Judy. It's not Ceedee lamb. They might be nice slot receivers over the next couple of years, but they were lining up, not covering the tackle resulting in the Ravens having, you know, a league high in illegal formation penalties it was every single week over nine straight weeks the Ravens had an illegal formation and uh, the the, one of the biggest complaints that I have about their offensive coordinator he's a very polarizing figure in Baltimore it's he's a 20 he's a what I like to call a zero to 25 75 to 100 guy there's nobody who's 25 percent in to 75 percent in on Greg Roman they either hate him or they love him and the one complaint that I have about him is that His play call process, they have this complicated orchestration every play where they're going from 11 personnel in a spread right formation to 13 personnel in this power right formation. And every play, there's these mass substitutions, running backs getting switched, tight ends getting switched, receivers getting switched, bringing in a sixth offensive lineman at times. And they get to the line. The Ravens run the second highest rate of motion before the snap at football at about 70%. And so the Ravens get to the line with, you know, nine, 10 seconds left. And Lamar Jackson has to bring someone in motion, which often requires one player moving from off the ball to on the ball. And then the other player moving on the ball to off the ball, and then coming in motion, timing that with the snap, you're not giving your 23 year old, 24 year old quarterback much time to go look and read a defense, look at and read a defense. And you're getting all these illegal formation penalties. So speeding up their process is huge. That's something that has been lightly touched on and, uh, it came to a boiling point in that, you know, poo-poo game in Cleveland where the Ravens had had their second uh, near delay of game. And John Harbaugh, they call a timeout, and you see him kind of under his mask screaming into his headset. And then the Ravens had no issues the rest of the, the regular season with that. But it was a major problem, and uh, it's, it's been a, a quite a difficult scenario offensively. There's a lot to fix, but they also, you know,
1: they were seventh in points scored. So it's, it's a weird situation. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's a real hate of mine when they have to call a timeout because it's not all set. But like you say, it's a complicated system and a you know, a young guy that's sort of trying to operate it. So, I mean, if we touch upon sort of your situation for next year, I mean, you've currently got $16 million in cap um, at the moment. I mean, obviously, you're preparing to to give um, Lamar Jack this mega contract that I think Dak Prescott hasn't helped you out with and sort of the money he's got is going to just sort of propel that. I mean... I don't really see many cuttable guys here. You talked about the trade for Orlando Brown. that probably will happen. I mean, you'll probably get a good value for him. The contract is on. I mean, is there anyone else you could sort of move on from? Well, the big ticket question
2: this offseason was Brandon Williams. And Brandon Williams is the guy that he was a really good nose tackle. He was a really good nose tackle. Nose tackles an important position in a two-gap defense where you need someone that's going to control those A-gaps. And he played well in his rookie contract. He – Uh, wasn't, you know, a world beater. He wasn't an elite three down player. He's never been a pass rusher, but the Ravens wanted to bring him back. So they offered him the biggest contract and nose tackles ever gotten. And as a result, that has now been kicked down the can through restructures multiple times. And as you're looking at that salary cap figure, you've got Calais Campbell, who's a, you know, mid thirties, good player, but you know, he's not, Uh, he's not a Von Miller. He's not a Joey Bosa. He's not a Miles Garrett. And then you've got Brandon Williams, the third highest cap hit, a guy who only plays 30 or 40% of your defensive snaps. He's not playing on third down. He's not rushing the passer. And his, his cap hit is $14 million. But if you see there, the Ravens could basically save a little over $7 million if they were to part ways with him. So the question is not, is he worth $14 million? It is, is he worth $7 million? And for me, the answer is no. I believe that there are comparable replacements that you could find a guy like Dalvin Tomlinson, who just signed with the Vikings, who is a higher pass rusher is a better pass rusher gets more pressure, pulls down the quarterback more often is more generally mobile is younger, but the Ravens have these familial ties. He's a, a a Ravens culture fit. Culture is huge to the Ravens. They love Brandon Williams as a leader in the locker room and as a person. And, you know, it's hard to put a dollar sign on that kind of stuff, but, when you go look at a team like the Kansas City Chiefs and they're paying Frank Clark, Chris Jones, Tyron Matthew, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and Patrick Mahomes, and then now you go to the Ravens, Ross, you know, all premium positions: interior pass rush, exterior pass rush, quarterback, wide receiver, a really great tight end that is beyond wide, beyond a you know tight end. He's a damn good wide receiver and a safety that can do it all. That's that's where they're spending their money. The Ravens instead have a mid thirties you know, interior defensive lineman that I'm not unhappy about that one. Ronnie Stanley makes a ton of sense. Then you got Brandon Williams, nose tackle. Okay, you got a couple corners. You have Tavon Young with a big cap hit. He hasn't played close to half a season in three years. You've got Nick Boyle, who doesn't catch the ball. You've got Justin Tucker, your, your stinking kicker. You know, you're not <laughs> going to find a team that has your kicker that high up anywhere else. And we love Justin Tucker to death, but he, uh, you know, had some tr- troubles in the wind in the playoffs and things like that. And then Patrick Ricard is down there, your fullback, who isn't going to help you much. I mean, between Boyle, between Williams, Boyle, Young, and Ricard, you're spending a lot of money and not at a premium position, not at players that are going to throw the football, ro- catch the football, cover or rush the passer. Those are the four you know pillars of value in the NFL in this passing league, and that's ultimately what the Ravens' mindset is. They have this huge analytics department and. They've bought into Lamar Jackson and this run first historic run success offense, trying to zag when everyone else is zigging so that they can find linebackers later in the draft that will fit them that other teams aren't going to draft or that, you know, they can find fullbacks or these defensive linemen that they get more value, more bang for their buck than other teams would because of the style of football that they play. But, now you've reached a point where you know it's free agency. There's a lot of guys getting cut and coming and going. And you probably would like to maybe not have Brandon Williams and a couple of those other guys so that you would be able to invest in a pass catcher or invest in a you know a safety or another pass rusher. And you just watch Matt Judon and Yanni Kingakwe walk out the door and uh you bring back Ty Bowser, bring back Derek Wolf. And you know, the Ravens haven't made any moves so far. Uh they they effectively have actually about four million dollars in cap space that they could use right now. They are able to restructure Ronnie Stanley if they please. Marlon Humphrey, Justin Tucker, uh, and, and a couple other guys. They just restructured Marcus Peters, which pretty much paid for Kevin Zeitler's contract, uh, which was you know a great signing. But Ravens fans are growing antsy. The Ravens usually have the you know the steel cojones and wait it out and and try to see where. Guys really aren't finding suitors and they'll be able to find good value and and bargain shopping has always been the Ravens philosophy in free agency. But with Lamar Jackson having one cheap year left where he's getting paid $1 million this year, it feels like they have not capitalized on his rookie contract quite enough. They've tried to zag when everyone else is zigging. It's worked, but it hasn't worked all the way. They're not going to win a Super Bowl. They don't have a Super Bowl winning roster still right now. I don't think there's a chance in hell that you're expecting improvement again. I mean, the, the moves they made last year overall are greatly outweighing what they did this year. And last year, they didn't help their offense. So this year, you know, they sign a guard finally to replace Yonda to an extent, and that's all they've done. And yeah. it's it's not enough. It's not enough. And the draft is upcoming and there's plenty of time and trades are possible. And there's rumors that they were in on DeAndre Hopkins last year and wanted to try and trade for him. But
0: you know, yada, yada, yada,
2: but it's 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 horseshoes and hand grenades. You know, close doesn't count when you've got one cheap year left of Lamar Jackson, and yeah. this is supposed to be the year where you are realistically able to win a Super Bowl. So right now, it's a waiting game, but it, it's not looking too promising.
1: I mean, I think the bonus you have got this year is, well, how it's panned out. I don't think any of the real wide receivers have really come off the board yet. I mean, I don't know what it is. I don't know if people are reluctant to sort of pay them the money they're asking at the moment, but – you know, obviously, that is an area you really do need to. I mean, you, you focus on the run, but when you're behind in games, you know, you need to be able to throw the ball as well. And, like you say, you need this, you know, wide receiver. I mean, there's some good guys out there. I mean, who's your sort of top main target for you personally at wide receiver? Well, the two
2: guys that I was really eyeing up were Corey Davis and Marvin Jones. The Ravens have tons of slot options. Marquise Brown can play in the boundary, can play on, in the slot. Mark Andrews plays in the slot a ton. He's a big slot. He is super effective at it. They had Willie Sneed. He's gone. They drafted Devin DuVernay in the third round last year, and they drafted James Prochet in the sixth round. You have five options to play in the slot. The only real boundary option you have is Miles Boykin, and uh, we discussed Boykin's issues. You know, he came on strong late in the season, but I'm, I'm not banking on him to become this fantastic, excellent, man-beating receiver all of a sudden so Corey Davis made a lot of sense. I think Marvin Jones made a lot of sense. Both of those guys are gone. Kenny Galladay is going to be too rich for their blood. He has not gotten the market that he wants. He's supposed to meet with the Giants now. Um, you know, Alan Robinson gets franchise tag, probably too rich for their blood as well. Emmanuel Sanders is a guy that can win on the boundary. He's gone. So at this point, you know, there's Juju Smith Schuster, but he's another slot guy. So are you effectively improving your passing attack, adding another slot receiver? I mean, maybe a good bit. I don't, I don't hate that idea, but, you're not really solving your problems. And the big problem was that when Ravens receivers were lined up ISO by themselves, there was 84 passing plays last year where they were lined up in ISO. Uh, and, and a lot of that was miles Boykin playing the X position. They were only targeted four times in one-on-one coverage. And that's unacceptable. And I think a lot of that has to do with chemistry and trust between Boykin and Lamar Jackson. You know, Joe Flacco famously once told Steve Smith senior, a hall of fame receiver, the Ravens trade for Steve Smith, Steve Smith comes to Baltimore and there's a Baltimore sports reporter that tells his story. And, you know, apparently the first words that Joe Flacco said to Steve Smith in person were, Hey, great to meet you. We're really happy to have you. If you don't run the right route, I'm not throwing you the F wording ball. And to me, (laughs) that says, you know, if you're saying that to a hall of fame caliber guy, it just goes to show And and this is what people don't understand. A lot of people are very critical of the Ravens quote unquote route concepts. And they talk about it like it's Madden, but at the NFL level, every single route has three or four options of breaking different ways and stopping at different points and having options within it. And that has to be the quarterback and the receiver reading coverage on the same page and knowing, Oh, you know, this is a single high off look. We're anticipating cover three. So this route needs to be run and stopped in this window against zone coverage. Or if it's, if it ends up being a man look and we were deceived, then you need to tail it all the way across the field. That takes a lot of trust. That takes a lot of practice. That takes a lot of, you know, mental uh, synchronization between quarterback and receiver. That's what Aaron Rodgers is so great at with Devonte Adams, some of these other guys, but it's all these young guys with a young quarterback and not, you know, the most ha- pass happy offense where they're getting tons of targets and in-game experience There's no preseason for them this past year, so it's it's been quite difficult. But I mean, there's tons of options in the draft, and that's why I think that this uh, free agent wide receiver process has been so strange because it's yet again it's the third straight year where it's a really great wide receiver class, and the years prior to that were awful. I mean, going back to 2015, basically since Amari Cooper, there have not from 2015 through 2017 there weren't these deep talented variable wide receiver classes with slot guys and boundary guys, guys that can do both big guys, small guys, and all these different things. But now over the last three years, you know, you got DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, Debo Samuel, Marquise Brown, Deontay Johnson, Justin Jefferson, Jerry Judy, CD lamb, Brandon, all these guys coming into the league. And I just don't think teams are willing to, you know, pay for something. They might be able to get 90% of the production for 10% of the cost. And that's a market inefficiency. So I think that's why this free agent market, in addition with the, the, the low salary cap from the pandemic, has greatly impacted this market. And the, the Ravens seem to be sitting tight. And if they don't add another pass catcher, whether it's a, you know a versatile tight end that can be tough over the middle of the field and press vertically, somewhat similar to Hayden Hurst, or someone that can be what Miles Boykin is supposed to be to an extent by the time the regular season comes around, it feels like they have done a disservice to Lamar Jackson. Uh, the one good news is that they ended up signing T. Martin and Keith Williams, two very well-respected younger college to NFL transitional type of coaches to replace David Culley, the Texans' new head coach. And Culley was previously doing, you know, he's wearing three hats, and now the Ravens have put two different guys to wear one hat. And it, uh, it, it might be able to streamline and help and, and bring some outside non-John Harbaugh lineage in to get things right. But uh, it's been a, a difficult process to watch.
0: Touchdown. Yeah, I can imagine, like in in that sort of receiver market, like you've pointed out, probably since Amari Cooper obviously getting that obviously that deal when he when he hit free agency, now you look at sort of the guys that have come in this year and and you'd like you pointed out, this is probably the one of the worst years, and we've pointed this out, uh all the episodes that we've done for off season talk, like this is probably the worst year to be a free agent just due to the fact of unless you know you've got the guys that obviously like you know the Jags and Jets and obviously like the Patriots have just gone spending crazy at the moment because they've had the money. The guys right. sort of like yourselves and everything else, you know, that are sort of penny pinching. And like you say, I think someone like Kenny Galladay who was really banking on getting paid because obviously Alan Robinson got franchise tagged, he was like, Right, I'm like the premier guy in this class. And like right. you said, he hasn't got a deal yet. You know, I think you know, teams haven't obviously met mid middle in matching on him on their prices, and the reason why is because. The money is thin. Like people are penny pinching right now, and like you said, you can. I mean, I mean, if you look at the free, I mean, the free premier guys that are coming going to come into the league next year in Jamal Chase, Devontae Smith, and the Waddle. You know, like obviously, you guys won't be picking around there. But obviously, like you just expressed that the fact that you have got these guys that are coming in now, that like you say, you're saving the money in, in some way or form for someone in the draft rather than trying to overspend on a guy who. Is not boom or bust, but obviously, like you said, I mean, the one guy I, I've, I personally would like to see go to you, just like you said, you need that vertical option, would be someone like maybe Sammy Watkins. But the problem is Sammy Watkins, he's had injury concerns. But in terms of like vertical speed and, like you say, someone that can be primarily on the boundary on the outside, he wouldn't be a bad fit. But like you said, obviously, there's a, there's a lot more moving around within the Ravens' passing coordination and everything. Like you say, it seems like a very difficult system Alone, you know, so obviously they're going to have to get some guys in. And it could be a case of where, you know, if you guys don't, I'm sure you'll, whoever it may be, you'll probably get a receiver. But looking to the draft, I mean, there could be someone nice at at 27, which we'll get to uh, in a second. I mean, we sort of stick to free agency at the moment, Spencer. So, I mean, Matt Judden has now obviously left. And so, Janet Ngocwe. Now, you know, two Premier Edge guys. I mean, is there someone that takes your fancy as of now? Obviously. As of you saying this to us, obviously they might be signed by someone else, but hopefully they won't. Um, I mean, is there anyone that's taken your fancy at at edge in the free agency market?
2: Yeah, I think that the Ravens, you know, they're obsessed with the comp pick formula. They have, I think, 56 comp picks since that formula was started, where a free agent signs somewhere else, you get a pick. And they're looking at the cuts. That's why they pounced on Kevin Zeitler. And Zeitler was a great signing. Uh, because of when you go look at the quality of play between Zeitler and Joe Tooney, Joe Tooney is a much better player. Zeitler is a good player. The Chiefs are paying out the wazoo for Tooney. The Ravens aren't paying anything, and they're going to get, you know, they avoided uh, canceling out a potential pick for that. So with that in mind, guys like Carlos Dunlap or a uh, Kyle Van Noy, who was recently released from the Dolphins, those both make a ton of sense for the Ravens. Uh, Both of those guys have a little bit of coverage ability. The Ravens ask a lot from their edge rushers. They that's why Matt Judon goes to the Patriots. There's really three teams that ask as much as they do uh, or two other teams that ask as much as the Ravens do. And it's the Dolphins who, you know, Brian Flores ties to Belichick coached in, in New England and then the Patriots themselves. That's why Judon gets the big bucks in New England. He can set the edge. He's strong against the run. He's able to bluff and drop into coverage effectively, and he can rush the passer and beat up on tight ends. So he's capable of, of playing in all those different roles. And I think that guys like Ryan Anderson, another you know cheaper name that wouldn't negate Ngak- Ngakwe or Judon leaving, or a Melvin Ingram, or maybe a Justin Houston, or a Kyle Van Noy would be able to come in, cover a little bit, rush the passer a little bit, play against the run a little bit, and do those things. And you know, really with the Ravens having that comp formula in mind, Dunlap, and Kyle Van Noy makes sense. The Ravens traditionally don't go after second contract players; those are the most expensive guys. They they love third contract veterans that want to win. Steve Smith, Derek Mason, you know all these different guys that they brought in over the years. Elvis Doomerville back in the day uh, that they've brought in to to come in and try to win. Earl Thomas comes to mind that didn't turn out as well because of small field issues. But uh, the Ravens love bringing in those those veterans that are in their third contract. Mark Ingram where it's a little cheaper, the guys can still play pretty well. They have experience. They're a nice you know, coach on the field or coach in the the meeting room, and uh, they're cheap. And with guys like Dunlap, Van Noy, that won't count against the comp formula, I would not be surprised at all to see one of them become a Raven sometime in the next week or so. And those guys usually aren't in as much of a rush to sign a deal. They have had the big paydays. They want to win. They want to get paid. Uh, They want to find a healthy marriage between the two. So I think looking in those directions would make a lot of sense for the Ravens. Yeah,
1: I mean you you know Carl van Noy for me is an excellent pick. Obviously you mentioned sort of you know the Dolphins and the Patriots sort of asked the same amount from them. So, you know, he seems like an obvious fit. And I think you don't have to commit to them for as long as well, normally, you know, that you can sort of give them a sort of one or two year deal, want to win, and they probably want to hit free ancient again. I mean, if we if we move on to the draft, I mean, you're picking 27th. Is what's the sort of main, you know, what's your ideal situation at 27?
2: guy for me is Rashad Bateman. I have watched hours and hours of Rashad Bateman. Uh, he does everything that they need in that X receiver, in that boundary receiver. He has lateral quickness, change of direction. He sinks his hips coming in and out of breaks. He has good football intelligence. He can play in the slot if you want him to. He can play on the boundary. He's got size, a big catch radius, he runs, he jumps. Uh, he's good after the catch. Everything that you want is Rashad Bateman. I think a lot of other people have started to catch on to that a little later. Um, he's a guy that, you know, doesn't run a four three and he wasn't on Alabama or, or doing anything too crazy. Minnesota is not exactly a joke of a program, but there's certainly no, you know, Alabama or Ohio state, but people have started to catch on that. He is the, the, the frame, the skills, the attitude, the type of receiver, like a Keenan Allen or a Michael Thomas that catches hundred balls a season. And so whether he's there or not, I will be unsure of. Uh, Ziz coming out of Georgia, another one that has been linked to the Ravens, but he's probably one of the top, you know, one, two, three edge guys in this class. And he's very young. So wouldn't be surprised to see him go before. And, uh, other than that, you know, the tackle situation is very difficult to project. Is Orlando Brown going to be in Baltimore? Uh, Brown really can't hold out. If he holds out that he does not get to become an unrestricted free agent next year, the Ravens, He would become a restricted free agent. The Ravens would place a first-round tender on him, and then he won't get as big of a contract in all likelihood. So is he gone? Is he here? If he's gone, you have to think of Tevin Jenkins, a Samuel Cosme, a Jalen Mayfield, uh, some of these bigger, stronger, run-blocking, heavy, uh, similar to Orlando Brown. Tackles would certainly be in play. Um, but the Ravens, oh, they tend to tend to shock with their draft picks. You know, everybody wants a receiver, they'll draft a cornerback. Um, they take the best player available, very much so. Marlon Humphrey, one of the premier cornerbacks in the NFL. Ravens fans all wanted, you know, O.J. Howard or a middle linebacker to replace Ray Lewis and uh, play alongside C.J. Mosley or, or a pass rusher, and they, the Ravens had a few cornerbacks at the time, and they end up taking Marlon Humphrey, a guy that people didn't quite see, you know, worth taking at 16. And boom, fast forward four years later, he's got a hundred million dollar contract. He's an all pro and, you know, forcing eight fumbles and locking down number one receivers. So they are quite unpredictable. But if the Ravens don't acquire some sort of pass catcher by the end of the second round and by the time training camp starts, they don't make some sort of Stefan Diggs type trade or DeAndre Hopkins type trade. In the end, they are doing a disservice. Uh, they have zagged too far when everyone has zigged and it's, uh, it's, it's going to be tough to expect this offense to take off without acquiring any real veterans to give experience and without acquiring any top-level talent. Um, I mean, short of, you know, occasionally there's a guy like Chase Claypool who slips a little bit and ends up with 10 touchdowns. But, you know, those don't happen every – you know, there's one or two of those guys every year um, in the entire NFL. So it's, it's a tough process. But ultimately, you know, I think maybe an Elijah Moore – out of Ole Miss, a guy who reminds me of Antonio Brown quite a bit in terms of just being a ball magnet over the middle of the field, or Rashad Bateman, who can do everything they're missing at that X receiver position. Uh, those two would be healthy as well. Terrace Marshall, the other guy out of LSU, uh, somewhat similar, maybe a little more explosive than Bateman, a little less refined. But um, that's who I'm eyeing up. Ravens fans have wanted a receiver. Uh, you know, Hollywood Brown was, was a, the first receiver off the board a couple of years ago, so it's kind of odd to say, but. He's not exactly that that big big catch radius separating and confident over the middle of the field, you know, hauling in tough passes. So Ravens fans have wanted that for years and years. I have my own Baltimore Ravens podcast, and I'm sick of having to talk about it. I'm, I Come on here, I have to talk about it because that's the issue. But it's been years and years and years and years. Ever since Anquan Bolden left in 2015, it's been, you know, who's – When are they going to get the guy? When are they going to get Corey Davis? When are they going to get Allen Robinson? When are they going to trade for, are they going to trade for Adam Thielen? Are they going to trade for this guy or that guy? You know, people, people want one and it, it makes sense. And people love to look at Josh Allen and say, oh, you know, he got Stephon Diggs and look how that turned out for them and went really well. And that's, you know, not the most expensive contract in the world and, that's what everybody wants. Eric DeCosta, the Ravens GM, even said it. In a he did a little video for Twitter, and he was like, "I hear we need." He has a Boston accent. He's like, "I hear we need a receiver." Thought uh, so down here at the Senior Bowl, looking at Sage Surratt, and looking at some guys, but it's like they know about it and they choose to go against it. It's it's their own problem. The most
1: desperate them. for one as well.
2: <laughs> exactly. So, in the draft, you know, just get a damn receiver so everyone's off my back. I'm not getting, you know, when I do a mailbag for my podcast, it's not, why didn't they get a receiver? Are they going to trade for this guy? Are they going to trade for that guy? I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm not in the room, but I sure hope so. So I don't have to answer these questions anymore.
1: <laughs> I think, you know, the, the best situation you give Lamar when he comes around to negotiating that contract, I mean, it might sort of sway him a little bit, you know, a little bit cheaper maybe if he's in a, you know, top situation.
0: It's, it's interesting at right. 27. It's interesting because, I mean, I was, I mean, in the end, in the end, we'll tell you, I mean, we've only, I mean, we'd be doing our 2.0 mark draft very soon. But when, before free agency kicked off and everything else was going, I was so back and forth. I was like, right, you know, obviously, particularly at 27, then what, you know, in terms of value, like you say, they normally put like the best guy available. And I'm like, right, in that range, like there was only a couple of guys that sprang to mind. Like, like you said, there's the position of need at receiver. And there are some guys that could be in that, what I call, late really late into the last um sorry late of the first round you know guys you just mentioned like Bateman who I was very back and forth of giving to you uh even even a guy out of Florida Kadarius uh, Tony who's got some game to him as well and in the end we both went for uh Traver Morig the uh the, the safety from TCU um I mean for me it was more I felt there could be, obviously, a wide receiver market in free agency. I thought you'd at least get one guy. So I was like, right, OK, I think best player there. And Trayvon Morig wouldn't be a – you know, I like his game. He, you know, we haven't watched some tape on him yet, but from what I've seen, looks like a good guy at value at 27. I mean, just a quick one from you there. I mean, would, would you like – obviously, I know you want the receiver. You've just you've just expressed that massively <laughs> to the Ravens fan base and everything that, you know, that's all they want. They just want a good receiver, you know, the mark, mark and throw vertically down to. I mean, what would you say to Trevor Morrig? I mean, have you watched much tape on him? I mean, would you like to have another safety or do you think that's just way off the line? I
2: think one of the quickest ways for the Ravens' defense to fall apart
0: would be for Chuck Clark or Deshaun Elliott,
2: and Deshaun Elliott being a guy who missed his first two years due to injury, uh, being injured. So they do need a safety. I personally would prefer one in maybe the third round or the fourth round, and uh, even later they've had tons of success. Elliott and Clark are both six-round picks themselves. They seem to be able to identify guys really well there. I think this isn't the deepest safety class, uh, but Trevon Morig is a rangy, versatile guy that can play some man coverage. He tackles well. He can be a little bit too much of a missile, but that's been, people try to project, you know, the Ravens like to take the best player available and he could be the guy. Um, So that, that would make sense. Absolutely. He has good ball skills. He's a taller guy and Uh, Currently, neither Elliott nor Clark are really a rangy kind of back-end guy that can patrol sideline to sideline and single high, and uh, both of those guys do work best in the box, especially Clark. Clark is more the box safety who kind of matches up running backs and tight ends and plays against the run and uh, comes down to to support motion and things like that. And uh, Elliott, a very underrated player who hits lights out. He's a big, big, big big-time hitter. He's an old-school Ravens hitter. But like I said, neither of those guys provide much range on the back end. I think that Richie Grant out of UCF or Trevon Morig out of TCU, both of those guys would give them an upside in coverage ability. And as we also know, if you go back and look at all the free agent signings, all the draft picks the Ravens have made, you know, they pay Earl Thomas near record set near market setting money. They trade for Marcus Peters. They signed him to a huge, huge extension. They give Marlon Humphrey $100 million. They signed Brandon Carr a couple of years ago, who played in Baltimore. They also signed Tony Jefferson uh, that same season to play safety. And they've drafted they've drafted Anthony Averett. They've drafted Amon Marshall. They've re-signed Tavon Young as well. And what I'm getting at is that they prioritize being able to cover more than maybe any team in the NFL. So uh, picket safety, fans might get mad at, but that's their formula. That's their, uh, their bread and butter is to make sure that they can cover And they like to run the ball, you know. That's them zagging. They understand everyone else wants to throw the ball, so they want to be able to lock down in coverage, and then they want to be able to run the ball against these smaller, lighter defenses with a big, powerful offense. So it would make a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's the best policy. You know, you know, best player available. But fingers crossed, you get your wide receiver. I mean, if we move on to your way too early prediction for next season, I mean, what sort of record do you see yourself having next year? Obviously, it's early days, but.
2: Uh, in terms of next season, it's, it's, if they don't get someone to take some pressure off of Lamar and take some pressure off of Mark Andrews specifically, then I believe they're going to, to have a similar fate where they're a nine, 10, 11, maybe even 12 win team with Lamar Jackson, you know, having to carry them at times and they'll continue to beat up on the bad teams. But, uh, if, if they don't go do that and, and go get, you know, uh, at least a really viable tight end that can give them some similarity to Hayden Hurst, then I I think they suffer the same fate. If they do, then I would think they can at least find themselves in an AFC championship game next year. Uh, But this this cap really took them for a whirl. And, yeah, it, it feels ultimately like they are going to continue down the path they have gone, and they will suffer the same fate of being good, not great, winning but not winning at all, and being where they were. And I think they like that. They they like being close at all times. Harbaugh does not want to have a loser. He is unwilling to do so. They are unwilling to rebuild. Uh, Harbaugh does not want to get fired. That is not in his wheelhouse to be a you know six and ten team. And I don't think with Lamar Jackson at quarterback, you're going to be a six and ten team anyway. But it's it's just at some point you kind of gotta you gotta ask the girl on a date. You know you gotta get out of the friend zone. You can't just keep hanging out and and waiting to see if you can kind of get lucky in the playoffs. But if, uh, if they don't, then so be it. And there's a lot more teams that it would be if they would kill for a 10-11 win season and making the playoffs and maybe playing a couple of playoff games.
1: Yeah, I think you've been very unfortunate that in Lamar's last cheap year, you know, this 20 million loss has happened through COVID. But, you know, everyone's in the same boat. And I think that it's such an important season for you next year. You have to hit this offseason. And like you say, I think – Championship game, if you hit them areas, is not out of question at all.
2: That was the prediction me and my co-host of my podcast had this past season. We thought that the Ravens would uh, maybe get to a divisional. We thought they would at least win one playoff game and, and yeah. maybe sneak into an AFC championship. But we did not think they were a Super Bowl ready team. Yeah. And as things stand as of today, I still don't find them to be a Super Bowl ready team. But hey, you know, maybe they shock the world and go draft a Kyle Pitts and trade their, their first round pick in 2022 and do something like that. Um, I mean, I don't see any reason why you, you, you need to eventually buy a mortgage, you know, and and people always use the phrase mortgaging the future, but the Ravens are kind of unwilling to even open up a credit card Uh, and and maybe trading a 2022 first round pick to go get a Kyle Pitts that you know, is going to bring a dynamic, comfortable uh, middle of the field and boundary presence and be a really great fit for what the Ravens are lacking. That would be the move to make if I was if I was in charge. You see teams like the Rams and the Saints and the Chiefs going all in over and over again and parlaying it because they keep winning and keep getting higher revenue and ticket sales and jersey sales and sponsorships and that helps you sign even more players and win even more games. So uh, we'll see where they end up, but as of now, it's it's looking looking to stay on par.
1: Yeah, I mean, I really like that shout of trading up for for Pitts, especially if he starts to fall around the sort of eight or nine mark, you know, like, like you mentioned the Rams, they haven't had a first rounder for seven or eight years now, have they? Like, because they keep going out and getting them guys, but they keep winning. So it's working for them.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, if you trade Orlando Brown and you find yourself with perhaps two first what round picks this year, What
1: about packaging Orlando Brown into sort of a deal for, you know, a team around that sort of level. That that's exactly
2: what the thought has been. Maybe a Chargers team or a Vikings mm. team. The picks in that, you know, 13, 14 range. Because if you ask people last year around this time, oh, there was no chance that either C.D. Lamb or Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs would be available after, like, pick 11. And lo and behold, they're 10, 15, and 17. Because guess what? It's the same thing that's happening in the free agent market. There's so many of them that teams don't feel desperate to get one. It's It's yeah. opportunity cost. And I can guarantee that out of Bateman – and chase and Smith and waddle and Pitts, One of those guys is going to be there at 15. There's too many teams that need a quarterback. There's too many teams that need a tackle, you know, lo and behold, someone might need a cornerback or they want quitty pay or an edge rusher. You know, it's just unlikely for five pass catchers to go and, and even six talking about Bateman in that, in that top 15. So if the Ravens find themselves able to parlay Brown into Pitts and then still have a first round pick and can go get a Tevin Jenkins or a Jalen Mayfield to play right tackle then that would be a dream scenario in the draft and i think that would be a way of going all in without actually you know being obligated to pay someone 50 or 80 million dollars or anything like that so i think that's opening up the credit card so to speak as a por- as opposed to taking out a second mortgage
0: yeah it's a, it's, yeah. A good, um, it's a good analogy that and i think you've hit the nail on the head of you know, is it gonna take that type of move in the draft? You know, like I say, I think and Keg, you point a really good point of actually packaging someone like Orlando Brown, because the way it's going, it doesn't look like he, you know, he's gonna stay in Baltimore. It wouldn't be an absolute ideal situation if you can get a, a tackle needy team. Obviously, the Vikings releasing Riley Reef, you know, who's a stud at a tackle. So you've got tackle needy teams. And like you say, you'll And then hey, the maybe you can find Riley
2: Reef to put right tackle. Maybe Riley Reef can be your yeah. right
0: tackle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exa- exactly that. And it's just got to the point of, yeah, is it going to take that next big move? And I think really, like you say, that, you know, Baltimore, every you know ever since we've been into all this, Baltimore have always been the winning team. They've always, like I said, been around that parlay. And I think you've also got to take into account now, you know, the division, all Albert, right, be, I'm not really sure what's going to happen with the Steelers. You know, I think Big Ben's on his way out. But you've got the Browns, obviously, that took tremendous strides last year. Um, you know, apart from Cincinnati who are still sort of in their rebuild process, you know, that you had three playoff teams in that division. It's not an easy division, to, you know, and even with that extra playoff spot, it's difficult. So it could, I think you're right in, in the way you've mentioned it could sort of eventually catch up to them. Hopefully it won't be this year because obviously it's Lamar's pretty much his contract year of obviously where he's like, right, I'm going to want some money now. And, you know, you just don't want to get into a situation where, you know, he's he's worth the money, like, don't get me wrong. But, you know, I, I hope it's nothing sort of in, in terms of, you know, what Dak's contract is, you know, in terms of what he's getting guaranteed. But, I mean, it could be that situation. I mean, you're easily in the double-digit margin. I can't – unless something drastically goes wrong, you know, like the gets hurt, the run game's not as strong, something like that. You know, maybe there's a few grand pains in some positions. I, I can't see you going below double digits. The, the team can – always doing that the coaching pedigrees there John Harbaugh like you say will not accept anything other than losing you know the winning season
2: absolutely and they're going it. this is the longest in I believe in the John Harbaugh tenure uh or at least tied for that the Ravens will have returned their head coach offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator for a third consecutive season and so they've got the continuity there but like I said Greg Roman people are very polarized in in terms of how they feel about him. So if the Ravens do struggle for some reason, if they just find themselves unable to, to get off the pot and pull the trigger and this team is sputtering and is, you know, four and six around the trade deadline somewhere or something of the sort, then a a firing of the offensive coordinator would not shock me. I like Greg Roman a lot. Personally, I'm on that 75 to 100 scale, Mm. but I think that, you know, it's it's something that propelled the Ravens in their last Super Bowl season, 2012-2013. They had Cam Cameron, I believe, in his third season and, or fourth season, and he got stale. The offense was sputtering. The Ravens were behind the eight ball. They fired him, and they, brought, they promoted Jim Caldwell to be the offensive coordinator who ends up becoming the Indianapolis Colts head coach. And the Ravens have a guy on their staff by the name of James Urban, who's been the quarterback's coach and a longtime kind of assistant to John Harbaugh and, Andy Reid and around these systems and different things. And uh, if if Greg Roman is not getting the job done and John Harbaugh needs somebody to blame, then I can see James Urban taking over for Greg Roman. And uh, I I think that is a little bit more likely to happen than you know than than a, a whisper. I think that's something that could be a real option. And teams fire offensive coordinators all the time. It's it's not uncommon. And usually you know and people always want to blame the coordinator, not the head coach, but. It's kind of uncommon to see coordinators last more than two, three years with the same team. They get turned over a ton. You know, it's a volatile normally business,
1: if they're so. You know, if they're really good, they get signed up to be a head coach. And if they're not good, they get fired. So, you know, I think that's, that's sort of where they are with offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators. I mean, like you say, I think it gives him a, someone to blame, doesn't it, if you're not winning. Next year.
2: exactly it's a it's the scapegoat everybody wants the scapegoat and everybody usually wants to blame the player or blame the coaches not the players and especially with a guy like Lamar Jackson you know I love Lamar Jackson I was ecstatic the day that the Ravens drafted Lamar Jackson I jumped for joy when they drafted Hayden Hurst I'll be honest I wanted Lamar Jackson so badly that I took my shoe off my foot and threw it at my front door as hard as I could I uh, I really wanted the Ravens to get Lamar Jackson I'm I think I'm his biggest fan, especially among people that kind of do this for a living. And uh, at the same time, I'm able to recognize he was late a lot last year. He didn't get the ball out on time. I think a lot of that had to do with spotty pass protection, especially losing Ronnie Stanley and Marshall Yanda and Nick Boyle. But, you know, he is capable of playing better than he did last year at the same time. And fans often don't want to say that. They want to blame someone else because Lamar Jackson is such a likable, fun, nice Awesome quarterback that the Ravens haven't had. He's the most exciting offensive player by far in Baltimore Ravens history. They've never had anyone like Lamar Jackson. So a lot of times people want to blame everyone but Lamar Jackson. It's it's Hollywood Brown's fault. He's too small. It's Greg Roman's fault. He's not calling the right plays. You know, it's the line's fault. It's always it's everybody's fault. And all of those things do have small truths to them, at least. But in the end, Lamar Jackson is better, is capable of playing better and i've seen him play better than he did at points last year um he you know gets too unwilling to throw to boykin too unwilling and i understand why with the anecdote i told and things like that but uh you can't just lock on to mark andrews and hollywood brown good teams are going to take them away and uh and it was really interesting when he had covid last year he said that he found himself you know i think cam newton had a similar problem at one point where They're both really great passers. They're capable of great things as a passer. Are they they Aaron Rodgers? You know, maybe not. But Cam Newton led the NFL in touchdown passes at one point. So did Lamar Jackson. And because they are black quarterbacks, there's a stigma associated to them. And they want to prove that they don't need to run so badly that they're scrambling less at certain points than guys like Aaron Rodgers. I mean, there was a point in time this past season where Aaron Rodgers was scrambling on 9% of his dropbacks and Lamar Jackson was scrambling on 6% of his dropbacks. And after Lamar got COVID, he said he had time to reflect and he was like, I'm just going to do what I need to do. And a lot of that was running. He takes really good care of himself. And uh, I think him being able to to look back and take a meta point of view and say, you know, what am I doing wrong? What am I forcing? And having that was a a big step for him mentally in terms of recognizing how to elevate his game and, and be his best version of himself. So with that in mind and with having a, a disappointing playoff loss again, but getting that first one off his back, I think, you know, there's a lot of continuity. They will have had Mark Andrews and Lamar Jackson will have had three years together or four years together. This will be Hollywood Brown's third year with Lamar Jackson, Miles Boykin's third year with Lamar Jackson. You got Duvernay going into his second year and uh, you know, a, a lot of the same coaches while they're coaching staff to get picked apart, but the same coordinators and uh, the, the, there could be a leap, but it's, it's been, that's been the the rumor for so or the the attitude for so long that we're just gonna rely on these young guys to on their potential and that's the word that I've grown to hate so much is potential because you know a lot of guys have potential Henry Ruggs has a lot of potential Justin Jefferson he doesn't have potential he is he, there's no potential he, he's just doing it like at a certain point you need to say okay potential would be nice but we can't rely on that and I think that's a big part of what the Ravens aren't doing right right now. They need to say, okay, this guy has potential, or this unit, this group, this room has potential, but we need to ensure that we are having success there. There need to be too many options. And if you want to win a Super Bowl, I mean, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers didn't have a weakness. They, they in any room, they had talented rooms, their secondary, their linebackers, their defensive line, their offensive line, their tight ends. They even lost OJ Howard and still had Cameron Brayton, Rob Gronkowski. And then there, of course, Tom Brady and then Antonio Brown, Scotty Miller, Chris Goblin, and Mike Evans to go along with Leonard Fournette, who was a top five pick and a second round pick in Ronald Jones. Yeah. You know, that's not what the Ravens have right now. So to think that you're going to rely on potential is is not going to win a Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, and like I you say you've got to be good in all areas. And I think the interesting thing is the Bucks have actually managed to re-sign pretty much all them guys. So, you know, they're going to be interesting again next year. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I think, like you say there with Lamar, you know, he – he's got, he focuses now, you know, he took a look and sort of focused on his ground game a bit more. And I think that's what makes him such a good parcel though, is the fact that these teams are scared of his ground game as well. So it is important that he keeps doing that going forward.
2: Of course, it's, it's definitely, I mean, the core of the Ravens identity is that they're, they, they've run for 3000 yards back to back seasons. They're in 2019, you know, everybody says running backs don't matter. And the run game is dumb and yada, yada. That's a big pillar of the analytics community, but, the Ravens, who are kind of the pioneers of the of the analytics movement in many ways, and John Harbaugh is, is doing a QA and a at the NFL's Big Data Bowl, which is an analytics competition tomorrow that's live on YouTube and, and Skype and or YouTube and uh, Twitch, that, you know, they were running the ball more efficiently than 17 NFL teams were passing the ball. And so it's really awesome that they've been able to do that and adapt and their run game is very underappreciated, even by their own fans. Teams don't realize how complex and beautiful their scheme is, and and how damn good Lamar Jackson truly even is. I I, I still find his ability as a runner underrated. He is mystifying, and his I mean, ability is... That,
1: to- that, that run against the Bills was just sorry not the Bills the um, the Titans. You know that that touchdown run was just superb, wasn't it? I mean,
2: and to do it in the playoffs against a yes. winning team exactly.
1: um, big, that, yeah.
2: that has Time competent up, guys. <laughs> Yeah, came up And definitely. And able to protect himself and able to avoid tackles, make guys miss, pick up first downs, keep drives alive, evade pressure and get throws off, all of those things. I think it, honestly, it might sound silly, but I still think it's underrated how special he is of an athlete. Yeah,
1: definitely. And it makes sense focusing on this, you know, cheap running back position when you've got a guy like him.
2: And Gus Edwards has improved. He's been great. Ravens just tendered him. He's getting paid $3 million this year. But, uh, you know, when you have a, a really explosive running back like J.K. Dobbins, he's going to have to make one guy miss, and then it's going to be 15, 20 yards when you have Lamar Jackson in the option game, the Ravens do. And the, the ball skills, the ball fakes within the option and the ability for Lamar to hold the mesh point for a really long time and make good reads, it just leaves so many players throughout the season, so many linebackers and safeties just in no man's land. And then a guy like J.K. Dobbins has a full head of steam headed to the sideline and, you know, has an angle on someone. So it's, it's been for their passing game struggles, which I feel are, are there, but are a little overstated at the same time. uh, Their, their run game is understated. It it truly is nuts what the Ravens do in the NFL. They're they're in today's game, considering how passing oriented the NFL is and for them to consistently be running for 200 plus yards and punching the ball into the end zone and, whooping teams up and down the field for four quarters, holding on to the ball. It's been a joy to watch these last couple of years. It's been very fun in a, in a unique team.
0: Definitely so. And I think you already pointed out, it's very, very underrated that the fact that, you know, you've got to have a – yeah, I mean, as much as, it's, you know, people want to say, come on, oh, you want the balanced offense. So I say the, the way the league has gone in terms of how these passing quarterbacks go, um, yeah, it is incredible the fact that, you know, how good you can run the ball on that front. Uh, Spencer, we're going to um, cap it off there. Really, really appreciate you coming on and talking a lot about Baltimore uh, Ravens with us. Really good to chat with you and really appreciate you taking the time out today.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having it on. Make sure to go give these guys those five-star reviews and share it with a friend and give these guys some support if you're a listener to this podcast and uh, get them get these gentlemen some love out there. I appreciate it again.
0: All right, Spencer, really appreciate that from you, brother. Thank you very, very much. So, guys, uh, we've got more off-season talk episodes coming up very, very soon as well. So keep an eye out for that leading up to the NFL draft. Thank you very much again for listening, guys. Take care. Stay safe. Catch you next time.